as I was thinking about this series, one thought kept on coming to my mind. Talking about, you know, how we can change and how we can bring about change. And the thought that kept coming to my mind was, why should we change? I mean, why should I change? Why should you change? Why should any of us change? So before, before we talk any more about the specifics of how, I want to talk about why. I mean, why is it so important that we bring about change in our lives? We need to understand why change is so important. You know, being a part of God's family is not like being a part of a club or a team or a social activity. It's not the same thing. When you become a Christian, you become a part of the body of Christ. You become a part of Christ's body, and the health and welfare of the body is really determined and depends on the health of the individuals that make up that body. So the health of our body, this body of Christ that we have here at Grace Chapel, will really depend on the the health of the individuals that are a part of this body. Now, we, we all have big dreams for Grace Chapel. I have big dreams for our church. You have big dreams for our church. But those big dreams start with individual change. They start as each one of us as individual change our own lives to conform even greater to the image of Jesus Christ. From the day we started a church, the most important thing to us, the goal of this church was to build a healthy church. That was our goal. That we would build a healthy church. Because if we could build a healthy church, everything else would fall into place. That's the most important thing. You know, sometimes people start out and they say, my goal is to build a big church, a mega church. That really isn't a, a, a lofty goal. The goal of a church is to be healthy. It's to be strong. It's to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's to become more like Jesus Christ and then let everything else fall into place. Let everything else that we do fall into place built around being healthy. So how do we build a healthy church? How do we become healthy? By building healthy people. Again, each one of us, each one of us individually needs to become the person that we were created to be. Some of you here this morning are coming in, you're thinking, well, how, how can that happen in my life? How can that happen in my life? Well, people, all of us need to understand why we're here. Once we understand why we're here, what our purpose is, it helps us to start thinking through the change that we need to make to bring about the purpose that God has for our lives. God wants to build healthy people because God wants to build a healthy church. And he's not going to let any of us off the hook. He's going to keep working on us and keep working on us and keep working on us until the day of salvation, until we get a glorified body. But here on earth, God's going to keep working on his people. He wants to build, rebuild us from the inside out. Rebuild us from the inside out. You know, my brother and my father are builders. And uh, very, very skilled, very skilled individuals. And some of you may be thinking, well, did, did the apple fall, fall far from the tree? <laughs> In my case, the apple fell from the tree. It rolled down the hill. It fell into a stream and made its way out to the ocean. That's how far the apple has fallen from the tree when it comes to my skill and the skill of my brother and my father. But when I was younger, I would go out and visit them. My parents were divorced, so I would go out and visit them in Virginia. And, uh, and you know, we do different projects. And one summer, I went out for a couple of weeks, and they were working on a house. 
And so we go out to this, I went out to this house, and I, I wanted to help. I wanted to participate. You know, I wanted to use whatever skills that I had available to me. My father quickly learned that the, the, the Greer skills did not fall to me. Um, very quickly learned that, that I didn't have those Greer skills. So I ended up doing a lot of the grunt work. You know, I was, I'd go around that building, and I would clean up all the garbage and make sure everything was clean. And, and I, but one thing I wanted to do, I wanted to have a, a pencil so I could at least, I put it behind my ear so I could at least look like a carpenter. You know what I'm saying? I felt, I was 12 years old, and I wanted to feel like a carpenter, so I put that pencil behind my ear, and I would mark anything that I could. It's a good piece of wood, I put good on there and mark, and I put it to the side. And if it was not a good piece, I put scrap on there and put it to the other side. And I would mark anything I could just to feel like I was being more of a carpenter. Well, one afternoon, my father needed to go get some supplies, so my father decided to, to let my brother and I, we, we were, he left us there, and he wanted us to start on the roof, shingling the roof. Um, side note, never leave a 12 and a 14-year-old alone to begin shingling a roof, all right? Uh, it was... I don't want to tell you what he said, but he was up on the roof when he got back, and he was just pulling shingles off the roof and yelling all kinds of stuff. And, but you know what? You leave a 12 and a 14-year-old in charge of starting the roof, that's what's going to happen. So before he got back, we were up on the roof, and I had my pencil behind my ear, and I got up there, and I curled up on that roof. It's kind of a steep roof. And we started laying the lines out for where we would start. And I took my pencil, and I laid that line, and I put it down, and it rolled off the roof. And so I ended up basically going up and down the ladder multiple times because I was 12 and couldn't figure out that if I keep putting it down, I would roll off the roof. And I went up and down the ladder, but I looked over at my brother and I noticed, you know, he, he wasn't going up and down the ladder. You know, he's a sharp guy, but, you know, come on, he, what, what's the deal? He wasn't doing it. So I kept an eye, I watched him, and he took out his pencil and he put those lines out and then he laid his pencil down and it was a flat pencil. It was flat. And it didn't roll off the roof. This was incredible. I was amazed. Forget going to the moon. This was amazing. He had a pencil that was flat that would, would be perfect for putting shingles on a roof or working up on something like that with that angle. And I said to my brother, I said, man, your pencil is perfect for roofing. Perfect. A flat pencil. And he said, yeah, Jeff, it was made that way on purpose. It was made that way on purpose. You know, I'll tell you what, um, why should you change? Why is it important for us to change? Because Jesus Christ, the ultimate carpenter, has made a lot of unique pencils. Every one of those pencils was made for a specific purpose. Every one of you here is a unique pencil in a sense. And every one of you was created for a specific purpose. About 10 years ago, I gave out pencils like this that said made on purpose on them. And different, different context and everything, but I told that story and I, and I gave those pencils out. I want these pencils to remind you. Anybody not get a pencil? You didn't get a pencil? Make sure on your way out, there's plenty of pencils outside of both doors in those little, those little boxes. Make sure that you get a pencil. I want, to I want you to take that with you as a reminder that you are made on purpose, as a reminder of this sermon. Why should I change? Because I was made specifically by the ultimate carpenter. 
uniquely crafted, uniquely made, specifically to fulfill a purpose that God has for me. I want you to take that pencil. I want you to put it somewhere where you can see it on your desk or uh, somewhere that it's, it's, it's prominent to remind you of who you are, who God has created you to be. Why should we change? My friends, we will never accomplish our vision as a church to be a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion, and unleashing purpose. We will never fulfill our vision. We will never do. We will never fulfill our dreams. All of us coming together and fulfill those dreams if we do not fulfill the purpose for which God has created us. Not just a few, all of us working together. We won't fulfill those dreams. We won't fulfill that vision if we don't fulfill our true purpose. You will never fulfill the desires of your heart to have the family that you always wanted to have the relationships that you always wanted, to have the life that you always wanted, that will not happen if you don't become the person that you were created to be. You need to become the person that God has purposed you and created you to be. With the remainder of our time, I want to turn our attention to Nehemiah chapter chapters 3 and 4. I want to go through Nehemiah, I'll not read the whole thing, but go through those chapters. And, and I, want to, I, want to, I want to take this time to, to kind of develop the theme, this theme around rebuilding and change. How do we rebuild? How do we bring about the kind of change that we need to see in our lives? Because it's not easy. It's not easy. And I love this story in the book of Nehemiah of rebuilding because it, it helps us apply, to our own, apply it to our own lives. Nehemiah asks the king if he can go back and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the walls. The king says yes to Nehemiah. So Nehemiah gets the people of God together and they begin the challenging task of rebuilding this rubble. Why should we change? Because changing means we fulfill our purpose. And in fulfilling our purpose, we build the church. We build God's church. We build the kingdom of God. In fulfilling our purpose, we build the church, we build the kingdom of God, and we change the world. So we as individuals need to understand why is it that we should change? Because as we change, we can change the world starting in our own church, in our community, in our nation, and around the world. We can bring about change as individuals and then as the body of Christ. This is so important for us to understand. We need to change. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to pull some principles here from Nehemiah that will help us in our desire, in our quest for change. In Nehemiah chapter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, we hear this phrase, next to him and next to them and next to him, next to them. They built this one over and over and over again. Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, section and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hanasseh. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Then it says, next to him. 
Meshulam, and then next to him, Zadok. And it goes through, next to him, next to him, next to them. They're working together. They work together. The people work side by side to accomplish their goal. If we are going to accomplish the goal of change, we are going to have to work together. We are going to have to be as one, the stronger helping the weaker. We need to invest in each other's lives. We need to link arms as one and defend and protect each other. Someone said to me recently, please don't give up on me. He said, don't give up on me. It was a, it was a close friend because they needed the help, that our help, my help, others help to continue to move forward in their recovery, to continue to move forward in what God has called them to do. Don't give up on me. And that's what I want to say to all of us this morning. We won't give up on each other. We need to fight for each other. We need to defend each other. We need to work together to accomplish what God has called us to do. We need to stand by each other and fight for each other because the enemy is strong. But listen, we are the body of Christ. We can't just let that idea go in one ear and out the other. We are the body of Christ. Nothing in this world can stop us if we stay together and we stand together and we work together to accomplish what God has for us. The enemy is strong, but the enemy is no match for the body of Christ. Why? Because Christ is the head. And then Christ made some unique pencils all of whom work together to accomplish everything that he has for us. We need to stand together. Every Wednesday night, we're coming together at 6.30. From 6.30 to 8, we eat from 6.30 to 7. We get some pizza and we, we, we spend some fellowship time together from 7 to 8. We're getting deeper into this whole idea of change. We get real specific on what, what areas do we need to change. People can share if they want to share. They don't have to share. We come together and we're getting deeper into this whole idea of how can we bring about change in our lives, working together, holding each other up, standing by each other, praying for each other to bring about the kind of change that we need to see in our lives. That's what's happening on Wednesday nights. And I want to encourage you to come on Wednesday nights to be a part of that process as well. We need to be connected to the body of Christ. We need to connect with each other through service. We need to connect with each other through our small groups, our life groups. We need to connect with each other in every way we, we can think of because no one should be standing alone. I mean, come on. We all know what happens when the, when the, water, when the water buffalo stands alone on Discovery Channel, right? How many times have I told you this? Right? I mean, you're, you're, you, you go out there and the water buffalo, they have the guy saying, and then the water buffalo goes off to the side to eat some nice lush grass by himself, right? Either an alligator jumps out and pulls him into the water or three lions jump on top of him. But I'll tell you what happens to the, to the, the wounded water buffalo, the younger water buffalo, the, the sick water buffalo, when the other water buffalo get around it. I don't care how many lions are there. You never see that water buffalo getting taken down. Because the rest, of those, the rest of those buffalo, that herd, surround the injured. They surround the weak and they defend. And there's no way to get through. We as the body of Christ need to defend each other, need to encourage each other, need to, need to, to be there to hold each other up and whatever it, whatever, whatever it takes to help each other fulfill the purpose for which God has created us. In Galatians 2, Galatians 6, 2, Galatians 6, 2 says to carry each other's burdens and that's exactly what we need to do. We need to carry each other's burdens. If you're down, I need to pick you up. If I'm down, you need to pick me up. If I'm hurting, you need 
need to be there. We need to carry each other's burdens. No one should go through the kind of changes that I'm encouraging you to go through alone. No one should go through it alone. We have Jesus Christ living in us. We have the Holy Spirit of God working through us. And then we have the body of Christ that surrounds us. Now, in chapter 4, we find a real powerful roadblock to this change that I'm talking about. There is a powerful roadblock to this change, and that is other people. Other people. This powerful roadblock to change, it starts out with other people. When, we, when people begin to rebuild their lives, um, others around them are sometimes less than enthusiastic about it. You know, you're going to hear from people all the time. They'll say, oh, you know, you really need to change in this area. You need to change in that area. You need to change your life. You need to turn things around. And then as soon as you start to rebuild your life, the peanut gallery starts in. They, they, are, they, are, they are less than enthusiastic about the changes that they begin to see in your life. Because when you start to change, you remind them that they're still standing still. They are standing still. You remind those people as you move forward, as you, if, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus, Jesus is actually going somewhere, okay? He's moving. He's, he's moving. So if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, if you're going to bring about change in your life, then you're going to be moving. And what that does to the other people around you is it helps them realize that they're just standing still. And you know what? They don't like it. Misery loves company. People want to be around other people who are just swallow, wallowing in, in their misery or wallowing in their, in their inability to change and their lives are being completely consumed by all these things that are going on. And, and, and the people, when you start to step outside of that, you're going to get the peanut gallery constantly criticizing, ridiculing, being sarcastic. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. When Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates, now just picture this, you're trying to rebuild this wall. In the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? To buy the Amorite guy chimes in, who was at his side, said, what are they building? What they are building, he said, even if a fox climbs up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. My friends, when you try to rebuild your life, there are going to, people, there are going to be people there to mock you and discourage you and to criticize you. Mark my words. As soon as you start to change, everybody wants to see change. As soon as you start to change, you're going to see some people around you who will mock, discourage, and criticize you. In any, any great undertaking, there will always be challenges that we have to face. But I love, I love what, what, what Roger Crawford wrote. Roger Crawford wrote, being challenged in life is inevitable. Being defeated is optional. Being challenged in life is inevitable. Yes, we're going to be challenged. We're going to have the peanut gallery on one side. We're going to have our enemy on the other side over here, spiritual enemy. We're going to have all those things. Being challenged is inevitable. Being defeated is optional. That is so true. That is so true of God's people. So when the criticism comes, how should we respond? Because it's coming. Make no mistake about it. And when that criticism comes, how should we respond? Well, the first thing we need to do is to pray. We need to stop. We need to pray. When the, for the first thing you're, you're going you're to be thinking about doing 
is in some way responding or reacting to what someone says. That's not what you do. When it comes, when you're trying to bring about change, you need to be constantly in prayer. And as you're under attack or you're under the influence or something's happening, you stop and you pray. You pray. In Nehemiah 4.4, it says this, Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. They pray and then they respond. They pray, and then, then, then they take action. Then they make it happen. But first, we have to pray. We have to spend time in prayer. You are never going to truly overcome the things in your life. You're never going to bring about the change that you need to make unless you spend time in prayer, unless that change comes from the inside out. That's where it starts. That's where it starts from the inside out. And inside out, that's the Holy Spirit working in your life. So we need to, we need to pray and then take action. Verse 6 says this. Love this. So we, built, we rebuilt the wall until all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all of their hearts. The people worked with all of their hearts. Uh, It's it's the truth. If we're going to change, make no mistake about it. You are going to have to work with all of your heart. This cannot be a half-hearted kind of, I heard a sermon. I'm going to do a couple things, see if it'll work out for me. This is like, man, I got to work at this with all of my heart. I got to leave here today. I got to make a list of things that I need to do. I need to get some counseling. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to get in a Bible study. I need to whatever you need to do because you can't talk about true change unless you're going to work at it with all of your heart because that's what it's going to take. And it's not going to take from here till tomorrow or even here next week or next month. It may take a few years to overcome the kinds of things that you need to change in your life. But you know what? Get on the road to change. Spend that time in prayer and work at it with all of your heart. We need to follow the pattern of those who came before us The pattern of those who prayed, who spent time on their knees in prayer and said, God, lay these people aside. Don't let them get in my way. You know, Lord God, they despise me. They're criticizing me. They're putting me down. But Lord God, you you fight my battles for me. You fight my battles for me because I want to be the person that you created me to be. We need to pray and then we need to take action. Now, with that said, this passage also offers us other truths, important truths. In any great challenge, and this is difficult for, for some people to hear, but in any great challenge, there are those who refuse to do the work that's necessary. I could sit here and, and I'm going to continue to preach my guts out, okay? I don't know how else to put it. This is important to me. This is one of those things that are so important. This is one of those things that are important to me. And I'm going to preach my heart out. But you know what? There are still those who may be sitting here and they, they, just, they just don't want to do the work necessary. They refuse to do the work necessary to bring about those changes. Now, I want to, want to go back to chapter 3 and read chapter 3, verse 5. And it says this, The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The word shoulders here means the back of the neck. And a good example would be an ox that refused to yield to the yoke. You know, you put that on there, you want the ox to respond. And, and it's just, you know, no, not going to respond. Not going to do what you're asking me to do. I just, you know, I, I, don't, I just refuse to do the work necessary in order to bring about the changes that you want to see uh, in my life, Lord. 
So we're talking about this refusal. Some people don't want to take the chance. The reality is, and this is, I understand this. This is not like criticism or what's wrong with you. But some people just don't want to take the chance to try and fail. They don't want to try and fail. This is difficult stuff. You know, maybe you tried before and you failed. You don't want to go and try and fail again. They don't want to stick your neck out for God, if you will. You know, you may be thinking to yourself, gosh, how many times have I tried and failed already? And now I'm sitting here and I gotta, you're asking me to try and fail again? I'm not sure I'm up for this work. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of refusing in my heart, in my heart, to do the work necessary to bring about this change. And they also realize something else that is extremely difficult, but you have to be honest about. People realize that this, this, taking this on, taking on this change, what they're doing is they're taking on these old memories. You know, in the back of your mind, you, yeah, I want to change. Yeah, I want to bring this about. But in the back of your mind, you're talking to yourself and realizing if you do this, you're going to have to face those old memories. You're going to have to face those old hurts. You're going to have to face some of those things that you may have put away and you don't want to bring them back out. So you don't want to deal with this. And that's your, that's your mindset. You're thinking, if I, if I step out and do what he's asking me to do, if I step out and do what God is asking me to do, I may have to face some of the difficulties in my life, those old memories. And some people just don't want to carry the weight. They just don't want to. They want to come to church Good people love Jesus, but they don't want to do what's necessary to really carry that weight. You know, it's, they basically, they, a good way to put it in a word picture is, is they, they see the rubble before them and they just quit. The wall is crumbled. They see the smoldering wall, the burnt, and they're, and they're just looking at this and saying, I, I, I'm looking at this rubble. I'm looking at what I'm going to have to do. I'm looking at what I'm going to have to rebuild, and I just don't want to rebuild it. And you can call it anything you want. You can call it the giant in your life. You can call it fear. You can call it a roadblock. You can call it rubble. Call it whatever you want to call it. But what happens is you see that giant. You see that rubble. You hear those things. You think about what you're going to have to endure, and you just basically throw your hands up and you surrender. You say, I'm not, that's not where I'm going. I'm not, I, I just can't deal with that. And you give up. The reality is, my friends, you were made on purpose. Every single person here was made on purpose, but you refused to be used by the carpenter. Use me where I am right now, Lord, because I'm not going there. So whatever you can get out of me now, that's as far as, that's as much as you're going to get. And you basically are refusing to be used by the carpenter. God did not create you to be where you are right now. God did not create you to let someone else defeat you because of what they've done to you. And you, you basically step back and say, yeah, that's, that's easy for you to say, hard for me to do. And so you refuse to be used by the carpenter. I, I, and I, I say this with all the love of my heart. I don't hope I'm hurting anybody's feelings, but you, you basically, you've accepted mediocrity. You're, you've settled into mediocrity. You went back to Egypt. And wh- whatever that is, whatever, whatever that is in your life, that has mastered you. Whatever that trouble is, whatever that difficulty is, whatever that is in your life, that, that has mastered you. You're enslaved to whatever has mastered you. And here's the hard part that I know is going to be difficult to hear, but that is what you're going to pass on to your children. 
Your children know that you're struggling with those things. Your children know that is an issue in your life. Your children kind of know the story. And, and what you're saying to them is, this thing has mastered me. I'm, t- I'm not strong enough to take this on, so I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to submit to whatever it is. It has become, in a sense, my master. I am enslaved to that thing. And that is the legacy you're passing on to your children. What you should be passing on is say, you know what, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I'm going to overcome this. However long it takes, I'm going to overcome this because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have the power of the resurrection living in me and I know it's going to be difficult. I know there may be some tears and some difficulty and some strain and a lot of talking, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to be enslaved. I refuse to go back to Egypt and live in slavery because I have been set free. I have been set free. And those who are free are free indeed. You refuse. You refuse to live there. That has to be your attitude because that is what you need to pass on to your children. That's what you need to pass on to your children because to be used means to be sharpened. To be used means that that you're no longer dull. That you're, that you're going to be sharpened, that you're going, to, you're going to bring about that change, you're going to see that change, but so often we're afraid of that and we remain unsharpened and we remain unchanged. And those around us say, where is the power of God in your life? You say that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. He was raised from the dead. You have the power of the resurrection and in you, but we stand back sometimes and we don't live like we have that resurrection power in us. Some just don't want to go through the change that they need to make. They, they kind of, I think it's they want the easy path. They want the easy path. I just don't know how else to say it. You know, there are two choices that every single one of us has in life. There are two choices that are laid out before us. One is the choice of change. One path that we can take is the, the path of change. It's challenging, but it's rewarding. It is extremely challenging, but it's rewarding. The other path is the easy path. And its only reward is that it's easy until you wake up one morning and realize who you are and what you've become. And you're laying in your bed or you're sitting by yourself and you realize as you get older and older what you have become, what you've settled for and regret begins to sweep in you like a, on you like a wave and you're overwhelmed. The easy path offers nothing but ease. And you think, well, that's at least something. It is nothing because ultimately you're going to step back, you're going to look at your life and say, woulda, I shoulda, I coulda, but I didn't. That path is empty. It leads to nothing. But then, as the scripture shows us in Nehemiah, then there are those who we've talked about already who are willing to work at it with all of their hearts. Man, they're not gonna, they're not gonna be denied. They're not gonna be denied. In, in, in verse 10, it says this. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so, there, and there is, is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. They're just, they are, this is, the, this is an idea of people who are working so hard. Giving out is a picture of someone who is carrying so much weight. They're working so hard and they're staggering under that weight until they're literally almost ready to give out. So you have whatever it is for you that you are willing to work so hard that you are staggering under the weight of it, that you're carrying, but you refuse to give in. 
You're not lazy. This, you're just, you know you're looking at this and you're going, my gosh, how can I, how can I overcome that mountain? How can, I, how can I get over that giant? How can I get around this difficulty? How can I get past that memory? And, and so you're, but you refuse to give into it. That's the thing. You refuse with everything that is in you to give into it. And so you're staggering under the weight. And as you're staggering under the weight, for us as the body of Christ, we need to acknowledge that people are trying with all of their hearts and come around them and not let them fall. And when they fall, we need to pick them back up, knowing that we are all in this together. Listen to me. You know what? This church is filled with a pack of sinners, and I'm one of them too. But you know what? Let's just admit it and just do life together. No one here is perfect. No one has it all together. No one's life, you're not, anyone here, name is Jesus, raise your hand. If you're Jesus, someone's going to raise their hand, whatever. We're not, we're not our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're sinners saved by grace. Let's just do life together. And so these people are staggering and they're, and they're, they're working with all of their hearts. Some of you are ready to put in that kind of effort to see that kind of change in your life. You are ready, you're standing poised and you have already been working through this process. Here's, here's what happens. You're able to, in some, in some way, you're able to look beyond the rubble to the reward. You're a visionary whether you realize it or not. You may not be a visionary. You may not call yourself a visionary, but you know what you can do? You look into this and you say, I can look beyond the rubble of what is, and I know it's staggering. Yeah, I feel like the weight is overwhelming me, but you look beyond the rubble and you see the reward. You see the reward, my friends. Life is less about what we accomplish and more about what we become. Understand that. Life is less about what we accomplish and more about what we become. Because if you become a person conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, if you become a person who's fulfilling your purpose, if you become a person who is, you know how you were created and you're being used by the carpenter, if you become that person, then you will accomplish everything that God has for your life. And what some people do, especially men, is they run around trying to accomplish everything, thinking that's going to make up for the loss or the void they have in their lives. It won't. You get to the top, my friend, there's nothing there. Accomplishments are not going to do it for you. You have to talk more about being than doing when you become more like Christ then you will accomplish everything that God has. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry. Am I going to accomplish everything that I want to accomplish in life? Yes, by being conformed to the image of Christ, by becoming, by becoming, not just by accomplishing. See, a lot of you are willing to crucify. You're willing to crucify, to put to death. You're willing to crucify and put to death that, that personality flaw, that addiction, that sinful habit. You're ready to do that. You're willing to, to work alongside of others and help them fulfill the purpose for which God has created them. You've come a little further than they have. You're willing to reach back and help somebody up. You're willing to do what it takes to fend off the enemy. You're, you're willing to stand in front of or stand behind or stand around and protect that person who is trying to accomplish what God has for them. You have a sword in one hand, you're helping him up with the other. That's where you've gotten in your life. You realize that the treasures of life are revealed after you refuse to quit. You understand that, that the treasures of life, all that God has for you will happen after you refuse to quit. 
The enemy wants to put you in a place where you feel like you just can't get up anymore. You've been through such horrible things in your life. He thinks he has you down, but what you need to do is you need to come back to life. You need to resurrect. The most dangerous thing in the world is a person who's fulfilling their purpose in life. It gives shivers up the spine of the enemy because they know that person who they thought was beaten, they thought they had put in the grave, they thought it was all over, that you were just going through life and going through the motions and all of a sudden you come back to life and you start fulfilling what God has created you to be and do and that sends shivers up the spine of our enemy because we are unique pencils created in the image of God and we want to be used by the carpenter. When that happens, oh, hell is not happy. Hell is not happy. The angels rejoice, heaven rejoices, but the enemy wants nothing to do with it. Nehemiah reminds us that if we choose to do the work, we need to be prepared. If you and I are going to choose to do this work, then we need to be prepared. Change is hard. Change is hard. There are obstacles to overcome. There will be battles to fight. No question about it. No one's going to get around this. If you choose to walk this path, there will be, be obstacles to overcome. There will be battles to fight. In verses 16 through 18, it says this. From that day on, listen, half of the men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand, one hand, with one hand and held the weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Love that. They were prepared. They knew what they were going to have to be taking on, and they were prepared. It says in verse 23, they slept with their clothes on. They were, they were sleeping with their clothes on. Whatever it was going to take, they knew the enemy was there. They knew they were going to come up against it. They knew it was going to be difficult, and they were becoming prepared. They were ready. They were ready to fight this battle. They were prepared to succeed. You see, you have to be prepared to succeed. How are you preparing right now to succeed? What do you need to do to prepare to succeed? Because there's some roadblocks in your life right now. Finances, financially, you may be on a roadblock. That's a roadblock. You want to think about change. You want to think about how you can move forward. You want to think about how you can be transformed. But this big old monster that we call finances is just weighing you down. That's what you think about. February 22nd. Seven o'clock here at the church, child care provided. We are going to do a four-week class on finances and how we can help you overcome and get a grip on those finances. We can help you lay that to the side so that you can focus on what God is calling you to do in your life. February 22nd, it's in your bulletin. Make sure you write it down. Every Youngest to the oldest, let's come together and let's talk about our finances. Let's talk about how we can overcome those. For some of you, it's relationships. Some of you need to get out of relationships that you're in right now because those are the things that are holding you back. You want to grow in your relationship with Christ, but every time you turn around, you're around people who have no desire to grow in their relationship with Christ. They have no desire to change. As a matter of fact, they're doing things that are causing you to have to, to think through, man, I'm going to have to repent of this or I'm going to have to overcome. Maybe when I get older, I can break out of this habit that I'm forming now with this group of people. Get away from them. 
Be prepared. Before you can bring about the change in your life, you need to prepare for the change, whatever that means for you. I don't know what that means for you, but whatever it means for you, you need to do it. Verse 20, it gives us the confidence that we need to keep moving forward. Verse 20, it says, our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. My friends, that's what we need to hear, that our God is going to fight for us, that it, it won't be just you, and it won't be just the body of Christ around you, but it will be the head that helps fight this battle for you. God himself will fight this battle for us. He's not going to leave us alone to fight it. God is going to use us, but God is the one who will bring about the victory. And I believe the greatest challenge that we have in moving forward the greatest challenge that we have of moving forward is not overcoming any particular issue. It's, it, it, the greatest challenge that I have this morning is not really challenging you to overcome a particular issue. It's getting you to believe that you actually can. That's the greatest challenge. Getting you to believe that you can actually do it, that it will actually work in your life, that you've maybe struggled before, but God can do this in your life. It's giving you hope that it can happen. It's getting you to expect more than you thought was possible. That's where we need to be. That's the greatest challenge. The greatest challenge is making all of us individually believe that God can bring about the changes in our lives that he wants to bring about. It is not it is not any particular issue in your life. It's getting you to believe that you can overcome that issue. And you may be thinking, I'm not really sure. Uh, man, you, you, you can preach, your voice runs out, but I'm not really sure. I've tried this before and I've failed. I've done this before and I've failed. I, I'm not really sure. Well, you know what? I am sure. I, I'm, I'm totally, completely confident that the God that lives in you, that the God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that the God who gave us the Holy Spirit of God to give us abilities and gifts, the God who created all these unique pencils, I am absolutely sure. I'm sure of it. You just need to believe it. You just need to believe that you were made on purpose. You need to believe, just believe that God can change you from the inside out. You just need to believe that because just think about this for a moment. Our beliefs become our thoughts. Our thoughts become our words. Our words become our actions. Our actions become our habits. Our habits become our character and our character becomes our destiny. We just need to believe. It starts with a belief. It starts from the inside out, from the inside out, loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and believing what he says is true, that he can change anything, that he can overcome any struggle, that he, when, when, doesn't matter what we've been through in our lives, God can help us overcome those things. We just need to believe, believe that we were made on purpose, and then fulfill that purpose. Why should we change? Everything depends on it. You will, never, you will never have the strength to follow through on the how until you understand the why. We can transform our church. We can, we can transform. We can build the kingdom of God. We can change the world. But we need to believe we can. That God can use us, that we were made on purpose. We need to believe that. And then we need to fulfill that purpose. Whatever you've been through in life, whatever, whatever someone's put you through, you need to believe that this life is not over. This is not the last chapter of your life. Sharpen that pencil and write the last chapter. 
be used by the carpenter to write, this is not the last chapter of your life. Allow Jesus Christ, the ultimate carpenter, to write that last chapter for you and be a part of that process.
want for our lives. We want to be able to start over again. We want you to change us from the inside out. And Father, we know that comes as we surrender our lives to you. So Father, we pray that as we leave this place, we would not forget what you've taught us. That our desire would be to change. That we would do whatever it takes to bring about that change as we rest and surrender ourselves to you. Father, we love you. We trust you. We give our lives to you. And we expect to see that change because of who you are and your deep and abiding love for us. Work in and through us, dear God. Bring about that change so this church will continue to do what you called us to do and accomplish what you called us to accomplish. Help us to become more like your son, Jesus Christ, every one of us. Every one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. We'll see you Wednesday night.